wise men still worship Jesus. You know, Christmas is soon going to be upon us. I don't know what happened to the year. It just seemed to fly by. And there's such frantic preparations so often in many households to buy presents and, and to prepare the food. And mothers are the ones who really come under a lot of pressure. And it's ever so easy to get so bogged down, as it were, with all the preparations that we forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. And I want us to take a look in the Bible at the wise men who came to see Jesus. We can really learn a lot from their story. Now these men are not necessarily just three. They were very important people and they came from the east, most probably from the Medo-Persian Empire, which over, overran um, the Babylonian Empire. And they were kingmakers. And uh, they would have known about Jesus from the prophecies of Daniel. They also would have known roughly um, from uh, Daniel's prophecies about the time when the great king would be born. And also uh, we see in Numbers chapter 17, um, sorry, chapter 24, verse 17, that a star shall arise out of Jacob, a scepter shall arise out of Israel. And they would have known from that that there would be a star in the sky when this great king was born. And they also believed that um, uh, great uh, lights in the sky, stars, would appear when the great king uh, was born. And God did this for them. They were searching the skies. They were looking for the Messiah. And when they saw this star, immediately they left their home and they started towards Israel. It must have taken them months and months and months. They could possibly have come from you know, Babylon itself. And so they, they made a real effort, as it were, to go and see and seek for the, the, uh, the new king. I want us to read from um, Matthew uh, account, chapter 2, verse 1 through to 11. Um, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, astrologers from the east, came to Jerusalem asking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king th heard this, he was disturbed and troubled. I mean, he was out of his mind practically, and the whole of Jerusalem with him. Let's imagine the stir that these mighty men came. It wasn't just three chaps on three camels. I mean, they must have had the whole of their entourage. And these are the kingmakers. I mean, what a stir. And they were going around saying that, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We've come to worship him. And so, as you imagine, this goes round Jerusalem like wildfire. And then they probably inquire at the palace. And... Um, Obviously, Herod gets to hear of this, and he uh, arranges a secret meeting, and they come to him, and he slyly tells them that the child is to be born in Bethlehem, but, you know, go and worship him, and come back and tell me so that I may worship. Now, Herod had already murdered one or two people on his way uh, to keep his kingship, and so, obviously, in his heart, he wanted to murder this new king. So let's take up the story again in Matthew 2, starting at verse 11 and 12. 
When they, the wise men, saw the star, they were thrilled with ecstatic joy. Are we thrilled with ecstatic joy at the wonderful, amazing story of um, the birth of Jesus Christ? I mean, when you think in history, it's an unprecedented event that God came down from heaven and was made man. We should be thrilled and ecstatic at this news. And verse 11, going into the house, the star led them to exactly the house where the child was. Going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, in church, so often the most we do is a little bow. But they fell down on the floor, they prostrated themselves, and they worshipped him. Then opening their bags, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men, they sought, they followed, they found, they worshipped, they gave their best. May I ask you a question? This Christmas, will you be a wise man and take time to seek, to find, to worship, and to give of your very best to him who is worthy of our very best? And this brings us to a question, how important is our worship to God? How can it be important? Let's look at Psalm 27, verse 8, and here we get a glimpse of God's heart. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. This is God speaking. Come and talk with me. My heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Or the other, um, the New King's uh, version, New King James Version, is when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face I will seek. And seek means to earnestly um, search until the object of your searching is found. I want to share with you today just a little snippet from an excerpt from a young Czech uh, Bible student. And this was from one of her sermons. And she says, none of us is perfect or ever will be in this life. But even though you may be struggling with some things in your flesh or in your soulish area, do not cut off your spirit from worshipping God. And at home, uh, the Holy Spirit finished this thought for her. And the Holy Spirit said to her, um, and do not deprive God of the thing Jesus suffered and died to give him, your love and your intimate fellowship. Since our worship is that important to God, should it not therefore be extremely important to us? May I ask, why should we worship God? Because of his nature, his loving nature, his character, um, his love in redeeming us. It cost him everything. It costs us absolutely nothing because of the shed blood of Jesus. God is eternally, forever and ever and ever, worthy to be worshipped and adored. Our God is a passionate God, and he loves us so intensely. I pray that we get the revelation of God's intense love for us as an individual. And we see from the Bible that God longs to fellowship with you, with me. Now, does that mean God is lonely? 
No, absolutely not. An all-sufficient one, which he is, could never, ever be lonely. God has absolutely no needs, but he does have very, very strong desires, and he desires you. God is love. You could say it the other way. Love is God. God is so God, good, and so generous, and loves us so intensely, he had to pour out all his goodness upon mankind. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah. Imagine you are there. We're now going to see the shepherds in the field, Luke, starting at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now there are no street lights. This is absolutely dark. Just imagine you're there, you're in the field with the sheep, and it's absolutely dark. You can just see the stars in the skies. And suddenly, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. That's a feeding trough. You don't often find babies in feeding troughs. There our Lord Jesus was in a feeding trough. And suddenly, and the light, the sky lights up with a millions and millions of angels. It says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, millions and millions, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, good will towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They left their flocks, they left their business. This Christmas time, I know that there are things that we can leave and make time to worship he who is worthy to be worshipped and adored, Jesus the Messiah, our almighty God. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known, saying which was told to them concerning this child. And those who heard the message of the shepherds marveled at those things which were being told to them by the shepherds. We need to share the gospel. This is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity at Christmas time. I know it has been commercialized and really people, many are trying to take Jesus out of the season. But it's an opportunity for us who know him to share the amazingly good news with those who do not know him. And just to remind ourselves, millions and millions of the angelic host were in the sky crying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. God's goodness poured out to men. 
You see, God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Just think what that means. Our amazing, wonderful creator God plans to focus all his love and creative energies for all eternity on blessing his children. That should make us want to worship him. Isn't it absolutely amazing that we have the ability to bless such a loving creator who is the all-sufficient one. How amazing that our love and worship can minister to someone as mighty, and generous, and wonderful as he is. But loving God is absolutely a choice. God has placed within us the, the, the ability to return his love. He's given us the ability to bless him and bring him great joy. But God will never, 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 ever force anyone to love him. You see, he gave us free will. And by giving us free will, our almighty God actually made himself vulnerable to imperfect man. We can accept his love and return it. Or we can turn our back and break his heart. You say, break his heart? How can God's heart be broken? Well, I'm going to read to you from Hosea chapter 11, verses 3 and 8. God is speaking, it was I who taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. My question to you is, will you break his heart by withholding your precious love from him? You see, our loving worship blesses God immensely, immeasurably. It brings him tremendous pleasure. When we worship him, he doesn't sit in heaven totally unmoved by this, bored, indifferent. No, a thousand times no. The Bible truth is that God delights in, in fact, he revels in our worship. It brings him joy, it brings him blessing, it thrills him. It should thrill us to worship him. I'd ask another question. If you knew that there was something that God really wanted from you, would like you to, to do for him, and that you could give to him, would you do it? One of the greatest, the greatest gift you can give him is your heart this Christmas. Give him your love. He makes himself available to us every moment of the day. I want you just to imagine that when you wake up, the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there and you rush past him and you shower and get dressed. You zoom downstairs and he's waiting for you by the breakfast table. And you know, you're in a hurry so you, you quickly munch a cereal or whatever it is and you, know, you, you smile at him and you say, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you up when I get back. So you, you rush to work and in the lunchtime, 
the Lord comes to you and he's, he's waiting to fellowship with you. Uh, but you're off with your friends and so you say, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll catch you when I get back. And then you get into work uh, and then it's time to go home and the Lord is waiting for you at the supper table. Um, and so I just, just need to you know, have my family time and family time is good. Uh, and then probably you watch a bit of telly and then you go to bed and the Lord is waiting for you still. All day he's held his arms open to me, to you, longing for fellowship, longing to have that special time with you. Um, God is definitely not hiding from you or from me because he does make himself available every minute of every day for us. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28.20, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, all day, every day, even to the end of the age, forever and ever. But our expectation actually is important to us. You see, God doesn't make it difficult for us to enter into his presence and enjoy sweet fellowship with him. God actually has already taken, as it were, the first 999 steps. And he wants to help us take just that one that last step towards him. But it's a step that we have to want to make. And isn't it amazing that God wants intimacy with us so much? He desires sweet communion with you, with me, more than we will really ever, ever know in this life. We must believe that God is a rewarder, not a withholder. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's very nature is to reward when we wait in his presence. But you see, if we believe God's a distant God, he sends negative experiences to teach us a lesson, um, that he will hold back and say, no, no, I'm not, I, I, I won't come to you too soon. I just want to check you out and see if you just hang in there. But if our understanding of God is firmly rooted and grounded in New Testament truth, that we believe that Jesus was the perfect, is the perfect mirror image of God. Jesus said, uh, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Then we will know that overwhelming goodness and generosity will flow out from God as we take that faltering step towards him. I'm just reminded of the, the story of the prodigal son. He'd gone away, the father's looking for him, and he sees him a long way off and he rushes to him and throws his arms around him. When we come to God, he runs to us, throws his loving arms around us. And you see, when we expect him, then we will find him reaching out to us with the greatest and tenderest of love, his longing and his acceptance. Isn't it amazing? He accepts us just as we are, warts and all. You know, we don't have to be perfect in our behavior. We want to be, but it's our heart. It's our heart for God. His mercy, oh, he's so merciful to us. And this more than makes up for our inadequacies. Don't focus on your inadequacies. I've done that, and I've paid the price. I haven't enjoyed the presence of the Lord because I've been so focused on my faults and my mistakes and etc., etc. Yes, if we sin, uh, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do that, we're cleansed just as though we'd never sinned and focus in on him, on his goodness, his glorious person, the amazing gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, on his great affection, his great love and his great mercy. Let's focus in on his unlimited ability to more than make up for any lack on our part. I remember every day I cried, Lord, I love you, but not enough. And I think maybe the Lord had had enough of this. And one day, I had very clearly in my heart, I heard that he says, I have enough love for the both of us. And that really, really set me free. You see, when we expect God to meet us, the only outcome, fulfillment and victory. Yes, it's easy for us to worship God uh, when um, we, are, uh, we feel his presence, when the emotions run deep. But can we still worship him when we don't actually feel his presence? Um, and, you know, we can feel in the doldrums. I want to challenge you to regard this as a challenge Count it as an honor. Press in to worship God. Don't be discouraged. You know, the enemy wants to discourage and defeat us. Don't let him do it to us. We're going to press in and we're going to worship God with our whole heart. Why do we do that? Just because he deserves it. He deserves your love. He deserves your worship. And if you persist, you will eventually experience that amazing thrill of victory. God's presence will break through into your life. You'll be so glad that you persisted. Um, there was a situation where I'd lost a very important document, and it really meant disaster. And I went to see my friend, and I was so depressed, and she said, we're going to worship God. So I sat, you know, in the chair, praise God, praise God. And she dragged me out the chair, and she dragged me up and down the floor. She said, come on, shout, shout, praise God, raise your arm. And I didn't want to. There we go, I was so miserable. But she made me do it. And I felt a hypocrite. She said, I don't care about your feelings, just do it. And I did. I started praising God. And the most amazing thing, the Spirit of God came upon me. His power came within me. He, highlight, he, 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 he led me to where this document had lain hidden. And I had absolute victory. But if, she, if Katie hadn't made me worship, I never would have gotten the victory. God is so worth it. You know, God is a rewarder. He's not a withholder. We see the leper in Matthew chapter 8. Um, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you really want to heal me, um, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy, sorry, the leprosy was cleansed. He came and worshipped he was totally healed from a terminal disease where there was no hope. Matthew 9, 18, if this is a place of no hope, I don't know any, anything else. It says, behold, a ruler, Jairus, came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she shall live. Verse 25, and Jesus went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose from the dead. Worship Jesus. His daughter was raised from the dead. You know, others can do what they want to, but we will worship the Lord, will we not?
particularly this Christmas. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo, I can't pronounce it properly, proskuneo. And it means to bow low before and to kiss the hand of the Lord in adoration. The wise men, kingmakers, the leper, Jairus, these men worshipped God. I want to lead us in a prayer that we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm not here to ask you for anything. I just want to tell you how much I love you. I want to spend time with you today. You are the love of my life. You are my portion. You are my exceedingly great reward. I appreciate you more than I could ever find words to tell you. You are everything I have ever desired. You are everything I have ever dreamed of. I come to lay down all my love and all my life at your feet. I bless you, precious Father. I worship you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this Christmas. You will know his love and his presence.